The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. With the Oscar nominations announced and voting just around the corner, we want to call your attention to our interviews with Academy Award-nominated filmmakers. For example, check out our conversation with Anne Alvergay and Deborah McClutchy about their film, The Martha Mitchell Effect. Martha Mitchell, the wife of former Attorney General and Nixon campaign chief John Mitchell, was dismissed at the time of Watergate as being crazy and even a drunk. She was, in fact, the victim of a well-planned gaslighting campaign hatched by Nixon, his top aides, and even her own husband. Stunning in its revelations and highly immersive in its cinematic approach, this powerful film will grant you a new perspective on those dark days of American history. You can watch The Martha Mitchell Effect now on Netflix. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs, live at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival. And we're here at Portrait House. Portrait is the new creative alternative to LinkedIn for filmmakers. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Elaine McMillian Sheldon, the director of King Cole, which is about to have its world premiere at this year's Sundance Film Festival. So Elaine, congratulations on the film and welcome to Top Docs. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And I'll just say I love the film. Since this film is brand new, can you give us a brief logline of King Cole? Yeah. So it's part fable, part documentary, and it's also a personal documentary. I'm exploring this mythical person named King Cole that holds power over the region I call home and the death of that king and what it means to move towards a future without that king. And so we employ elements of magical realism, verite documentary, personal storytelling archives to tell a pretty non-linear story of a region on the brink of change. So let's talk about you for a second. You are from this region, from Appalachia. You're the daughter, granddaughter, and great-granddaughter, I believe, of coal miners. Correct. I would say most of the films and portrayals of this region come from, quote-unquote, outsiders. But coal is something that is basically in your family's DNA. How does growing up inside this, but also going to college and moving outside of it, shape how you came to this project and informed what you did and didn't want to do with the film. I would say that all of my life experiences led me to making this film. Being born there, being a coal miner's daughter, having moved seven times before I was in sixth grade to avoid layoffs and shutdowns of the mines, leaving, you know, living in Boston, living in Miami, living in New Orleans, reflecting on my time in Appalachia, reflecting on my childhood, sort of the strange things we did culturally, learning about other people's ideas of my region, which were so far from the truth of my own life and existence there, learning that the region is mostly seen as a place that's deprived, that's poor, that's uneducated, that is someplace where actually you don't see the riches. I would say that all that, the pain of being from a place that is hard to go back to and hard to stay in, hard to make a living there, all that led to making this film. And in many ways, I don't know that I really could have made this film the way I made it if I wouldn't have also had a kid and thought about his future in this region too, and if he has one. I made this truly for a younger version of myself too, to give kids and adults in that region a chance to dream again. Because I do think imagination and creativity is the only way we're going to find ourselves into a future without a king. And interestingly, you did cast two 12-year-old 
girls or young women to be in the film and to play these parts. What gave you the inspiration to do that? And how did it stretch you as a filmmaker? I'm trying to remember how it all began in the way that it did. I knew that as a kid growing up there, you have a window into this world that adults have created for you and that you've not chosen, but you also have this humor. I think the idea for centering kids was just truly through the documentary process. We filmed in a classroom with kids and their reaction to a lump of coal that a miner holds up in the classroom of them ooing and aahing and saying, it feels like diamonds and so excited. I was like, kids are the way into this story because they've been handed this story. It's not theirs and it won't be theirs in the future, but we're still holding up this myth. And I thought that it would be interesting to actually see that work in a kid's life, see where they're very bored with the myth, see where they're playing with the myth. And the two girls, Gabby and Lainey, are both from families that have coal history. Their grandparents were coal miners. Lainey's father was a coal miner. And so we put them in scenes, real life scenes, and they didn't have a script and they were just themselves. And what came of it sometimes was great and sometimes was boring. And we just made it happen from there. But I think there's, there's a new opening with kids when you think about I just think it's a very politicized issue. Adults have chosen their sides of this issue, whereas kids can muddle up that middle and make us laugh and make us remember all the other treasures around us. Yeah, you mentioned that coal is very politicized. And what makes this film, or one of the things, because there are many, <laughs> that makes the film so remarkable is that you neither demonize coal nor romanticize it. It's a very nuanced point of view. How did you come to grips with your relationship with coal, both as a coal miner's daughter, so to speak, and as a filmmaker making a film about it. Well, in some of the narration in the beginning, I say, I learned to be quiet. And I learned that if I said anything bad about the king, I was betraying my community. And that truly, that was how I felt growing up, that if I were to speak against the very thing that was putting food on the table, I was being ungrateful or biting the hand that fed. And I think we've gotten to the point where we no longer see things that black and white. We also understand there's very few jobs in the mining industry and we're able to have this open conversation. But I would say it was very challenging to both hold a non-romantic and critical view. I ultimately just didn't want to alienate the very people who I think have already been alienated from this conversation, which is the people of the coal fields who have you know, given everything for the rest of us to have luxuries, who've mined the coal to build our bridges and build our cities and all these things. And quite frankly, I've been left with very little. Billions of dollars of coal has left my region, and we had, don't even have schools still open in those towns. I didn't want to alienate them, but I also wanted to challenge my own community because I think that we have been complacent in not allowing change to happen because, quite frankly, humans avoid change. It's difficult. It's grief. And this film is really a process of grieving. The end is a process where people got together to grieve. And that was a scene that we put together for the film that wouldn't have happened without the film, but certainly was a very real event a very real emotional event when we buried King Cole. King Cole, what gave you this idea of creating this character of King Cole? Because he, and I think he is a he, correct? Yeah. Yeah, he, he does feel like a real person in a way, but he's also, of course, myth and a, a kind of ghost. Well, it's weird because I guess if you don't grow up there, you don't think of coal as anything other than the rock, a black rock that we burn and is polluting and all those things. But I grew up with fairy tales and fables and folklore around the region and tales of falling asleep in the mine, falling asleep for a hundred years, all these crazy things. So I think I was drawing from Appalachian storytelling that is rooted in making play with hard situations. Sometimes that distance between difficult subjects using imagination. King Cole is important to also 
not just say it's the industry. It's easy to think of King Cole and think of the industry, but also King Cole is a ghost, right? We can't put our finger on who he is, but the problem is he still haunts us. And thinking about the ghost narrative, why does a ghost haunt you? There's unfinished business. We haven't faced this unfinished business. So it just allowed us to address very real things in a way that I think is sensitive. I think is pretty universal. Ultimately, it's playful and it's fun. And I was bored with the type of docs I was making and wanted to make something mm -hmm. fun and break the form a little bit, actually bring a level of cinema into my films I wasn't able to in the past because I was solely in the field capturing other people's actions and opinions. And this film was so much about bringing out the emotion that I felt as a coal miner's daughter who's grieving for my own family and wondering what's going to happen to them. So what kind of dialogues have you had with your family over the course of making the film? I've spoken very little to my dad about it because I'm scared for him to see it. He's going to see it here. He's coming out. I've consulted my brother a ton. You know, I've called him and I've asked him about just certain things about how to describe certain parts of mining. And, and was he also a miner? Yeah, my brother still mines today. My grandpa, Papa, who's in the film, he was a miner and he's a big part of the film. He's in the film. He's also a grave digger. And so he's been involved along the way. And I would say my grandpa is a huge inspiration for this film because he still believes in the idea of preservation of land as a miner. And sometimes I think we think of miners as just doing this destructive thing, this thing that's destroying so much. But my grandpa has always been this person that represents that two worlds can exist in one person. They can love the mountain and dig the coal. And sometimes that is a very difficult thing to square when we think about the environment. And so my papa, he embodies the complexity of this story. And that's why he's at the center of it. My mom wrote the lines that, you know, when we have the lines that King Cole's not alive, he's not dead. I guess he's a ghost. That was a conversation I had with her over coffee. And I was trying to untangle who the character King Cole. So my family's been really influential, but they have no clue what this film is because it's such a different film than everything I've ever made. They're anticipating seeing it, but I want them to see it with an audience because I, I want them to feel supported. And I think they're going to be really shocked at how much people respond. Like you, you said, this isn't critical in some ways and it's not romantic. I think for them, it might feel critical, right? Because it's their life. But when they hear an audience see and recognize the complexity and the nuance, I think that they will appreciate it a lot more. So I'm scared to share it with them because I love them and I appreciate them. But, you know, it's the truth. It's honest. And actually, when we showed it to the girls, you know, I was scared to death to show it to Lainey's dad because he's still in the industry. He has a coal mine right now. And These are the two girls. Two in girls, the film. Yeah, yeah. And the little redhead in the film, her father was weeping after the film. And I've never thought that man would cry. He's this big, tough coal miner dude. And he just was like, you were honest. You told the truth. And that, to me, is the greatest compliment as a documentary filmmaker. You mentioned that you're a little bit scared in advance of the screening of what your family what their response is going to be. And it occurs to me that maybe being scared as a filmmaker is an indication of the fact that you really have stretched and you've entered this sort of new terrain. Yeah, it has. In every way possible, this film has challenged me. And I was seeking that. And I surrounded myself with people that would help support that. My producers, Shane Boris and Diane Becker, my cinematographer, who is also my husband, producers on the ground, Molly, Molly Borm, my editor, Eva Radovojevic. Everyone pushed me. Everyone that I hired, I told them, I want this to push me, challenge me. Because I just think it's important. <laughs> we can only make so many films in our lifetime. And I didn't want to make a lukewarm film about this. And so they all challenged me. And I'm really proud of the final product because 
it's got moments that I'm still uncomfortable with, which tells me I did something right. I feel like your film is a conversation starter, certainly for people in the region, but also just for anybody who thinks about the relationship between labor, industry, the land, and culture. What conversations are you hoping to start with this film? A new story is possible. I mean, the film is really a call for a new story, and that's why it was so important to activate these hybrid elements and these magical realism elements, because just using the documentary form in its purest form of observation wasn't enough. The story of the king has died, and now it is up to us to figure out what's next. And I think giving agency to people to remember that it's actually some of these things are up to us and it will come once we grieve and move forward. But yeah, it's a holistic thing, like you said. I mean, culture dies when the land dies, right? When you're living in a place like that and you have to blow up the mountain to pay your bills, but you also depend on that mountain for your food, your deer hunting, your gardening. It's a very complicated story. And I think that it's been narrowly defined as a us and them and environmentalist, non-environmentalist movement. And it's just not true. And so I just hope that it, in more ways, like you said, starts conversations, but just really makes more of a complex argument about the starting point of change. Like, how do we start to change? When I think about the larger issues, when we face climate change and these types of things, I don't think that there necessarily are solutions that we can just call upon. I think there's real sacrifice and change that's going to have to happen. And that's culturally, right? Like the things we decide to do day to day. Yeah, I just hope it reminds the people in this place that we have so much more beyond this king, even though we've been told by industry and politicians and people with money and people controlling us that if this king dies, we have nothing. It's a lie. And quite frankly, we show that with footage, archival footage from the 60s. We were told that then. It's over. And we have to address that. It doesn't mean we're not going to, you know, Coles at its highest price during the pandemic. I don't know if you knew that. It was it, highest demand, highest price in history. So coal is not going away. But it, as the main driver of our culture and our economic, is can't happen. It's not real. And I think coming to terms with that is a very difficult thing for people to face. Just in closing, I would say I feel grateful that the one person on the planet who I think could have made the best film possible about this region, about King Coal, and about myths and reality around coal, but really about so much more, is the person sitting across the table from me. So I just want to thank you for making the film and making it in the way you did and for chatting with us today. Best of luck thank you. with your world premiere tomorrow. Thank you. It's very kind. Thanks for having me. We want to take a moment to thank our friends at Portrait for hosting these conversations at Sundance. Portrait is the creative alternative to LinkedIn for filmmakers. Apply to join their beta at onportrait.com. That's all one word, www.onportrait.com. Thank you.